Welcome to Blackbird episode number 65. My name is James, and today I am thrilled to bring to you an interview I had with Jason Stapleton. Jason, of course, you remember, was the biggest podcaster in the libertarian space back a few years ago, probably five years ago, and now has changed brands to wealth, power, and influence, where he's inspiring people to create their own freedom, basically. He and previous Blackbird guest Matt Erickson host that podcast, and they're also putting together a pretty great community that I'm a member of called the Nomad Network. I'm going to drop my link to the Nomad Network in the show notes, and I highly recommend that you join it. It is free to sign up. There is a premium option, obviously, that you can pay for, but uh, join the free community and just kind of see how you like it. I think that the project of this show where we are learning to fly in this weird, weird age that we're living in really, really, really includes creating your own freedom through entrepreneurship, side gigs, whatever it is. That's why I have so many people on the show who talk about that. So join the Nomad Network and I will see you in the community. There is no sponsor for this episode, so I will just say that I'm self-sponsoring this one. Head over to blackbirdpodcast.com, sign up for the $7 a month premium feed. You will have access to the full interviews that I do the day that they happen. This interview with Jason Stapleton, for instance, took place on, I believe, the 21st of September. So it's been a few weeks if you're hearing this the day that it drops. And in addition to getting early access to the interviews, you get the pre-show banter between me and the guests. And I'll tell you what, the one with Jason Stapleton was a bit of a doozy. We get into his very personal story about his family life and that sort of thing. So if you've been in the libertarian spaces for the last few years, you might've heard rumors and things like that. And I just wanted to kind of get to the bottom of them and hear his side of the story. So if you're interested in that or any of the other guests who I've had pretty good conversations with before the actual formal interview starts, go to blackbirdpodcast.com, sign up for a paid option, and you will get access to all of that content. And with that, here is my interview with Jason Stapleton. Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, totally. So you're like a legend in our in our circles. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the folks who haven't been listening to the first 10 minutes or so? Wow, man, that's a, that's a big word. Um, <laughs> I guess I, I went, I started podcasting in 2000, late 2014. And uh, my show originally was, I don't, most people don't realize this, but my show was originally a financial show. I wanted to talk about uh, central banking. I wanted to talk about finance and and some of the stuff that I understood about uh, Austrian economics and what I thought were the best economic principles for helping as many people, lift as many people out of poverty as possible. And very quickly, I found that I was talking a lot more about the politics and, and my kind of my libertarian leanings at the time than I was about the financial stuff, even though I could speak clearly on the, on the, on the economic side. And so I was talking with Darren, my producer at the time, and we just decided, Hey, you know what? I think there's something happening here. 2016 looks like it's gearing up to be a really good year for libertarian libertarians and politics. I said, let's see if we can do a decent job of building an audience around these values. It was a small enough niche that I knew I could, I could get a foothold in it. It wasn't like Republican politics or democratic politics. It is a much smaller circle. And so we pivoted the show, and within about a year and a half, I had the largest libertarian podcast in the world. Uh, and I, I say that with a degree of humility and a degree of pride, because uh, we grew really quickly. The message resonated. I was, I knew what I was doing, and um, that went on until about 2017. And I started, we started in the pre-show about at the time, this, this really divide inside, and it still exists. Like one, I, I hate libertarian politics immensely today because I see the same infighting year over year, people looking to slit each other's throats and step on each other to be the 
better libertarian or to have the right philosophy. And to them, being right is more important than being successful. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and I, again, if you find offense with that, then I'm probably talking about you. <laughs> um, but I, I looked at this and I said, I had a, I had a, I, one of the largest Facebook followings, we had about 8,000, 9,000 people almost in our little Facebook group. And I started, I noticed that I wasn't having any success politically, right? Mm-hmm. 2016 went by, nobody listened to me. The party didn't listen to me about what to do, about who to, who to nominate, you know, uh, nobody, you talk about Dave, Dave Smith, Tom Woods, myself, like none of the major podcasters and really the made voices of libertarianism at the time liked their pick. They just ignored us. All of this infighting's happening. And I looked at my list and I said, I want to start doing what I am having success at is some people are listening to me when I say, hey, you ought to like start a business. Like you ought to have a control of your own income. You ought, you ought to you ought to try to personally improve your own uh, your own situation uh, while doing this political thing too. And, and I was having success with that. I was getting people emailing me saying, hey man, I took your advice and I, I went to my boss and I, I asked for that raise and he gave it to me and he gave me a new truck and I'm like getting all kinds of great feedback from that. But every time I would talk about that stuff, I'd get a portion of my audience who would come way over the top at me and be like, why can't you just stick to politics? We don't want to hear all of your like motivational talk. And I'm like, dude, who doesn't need a little motivation in their life? Like if you don't want to hear motivational talk, then in my mind at the time, I'm thinking, dude, you're, you're not, you're not a winner. Like you're not somebody that I want in my group. And so I went to Amy uh, who was running the, 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 the Facebook group at the time. And I said, I think we have about 50% of the people on our list are the wrong people. Mm-hmm. I think we got half of the people on our list and who are all, half of our listeners are people who really do believe in these libertarian principles of I'm responsible for myself. I have to take personal responsibility. I have to create this for myself. And then you have 50% of the audience who only cares about being right, who only cares about arguing over politics and arguing over philosophy, stuff that isn't, doesn't move the needle. And I said, I want to keep the first group of people and I want to get rid of the other ones. How do I do it? And what I came up with was, I said, let's talk about the stuff that matters using libertarian values as our guide. So that's what we did. We said, we're not going to be a political podcast anymore. We're going to talk about the things that I think create liberty in people's lives. And I believe that more today than I ever have, because while I have gone a different direction and I've been working for the past several years to help people create freedom and liberty in their own lives, I have watched the same people in the political sphere spin their wheels, have no success, see no advancement on a political front. And now here we're staring down the barrel of another four years. And then they're still talking about, you still have the Mises caucus, the MC talking about, oh, 2024, 2022, we're going to get a foothold in, in, you know, in local politics. And and like, if it happens, great. I, I really would like to be proven wrong, but I, I'm rarely ever wrong. And, and that's, I mean, again, a degree of humility and a degree of pride in that. So that's kind of why, where I went with my show. And now what we do is we talk about the things that I think create the most amount of freedom and liberty for the most amount of people. And it all centers around you growing your wealth and income and, and power through, uh, through individual action. So, yeah, I, I, I totally get that. And it seems like you've sort of built a brand around being exclusive and almost abrasive. Is that, is that right? Well, that's partially my personality. So okay. I, I mean, it works well for me. I think we, I, I talked with somebody earlier. I was in, on a consulting call today. As you know, I was on a bunch of them. And one of the guys was talking, he's in the financial services industry. Mm-hmm. And he said, I'm just not that kind of like, hey, you know, I'm going to hook you up. I'm not that kind of guy. <laughs> and and I, he said, so I don't want to build that kind of brand. And I said, well, you shouldn't. Like the brand that you build should in some way represent who you are as a person. I'm extremely opinionated. Uh, I, I believe that I'm right. And I think that if you listen to my show and listen to what I've had to say over the last several years, that the evidence proves itself that, that I am generally right on this Mm -hmm. stuff. And I don't see much, I don't see much value when building celebrity or building a brand in being in humility. 
right? Now inside, when we when when you close the doors, you shut the lights off, the cameras go out, it's really important to maintain a degree of objectivity and humility. And if yeah. you talk to people who work with me or who work for me, they'll tell you that behind closed doors, um, I listen to a lot of people and I take in a lot of information. But when I when I put my brand and when I put my face out there, I talk about it a lot like developing a caricature of yourself. So you kind of decide what you want to be known about you, what you want to to represent, and you tend to amplify those characteristics. And so one of the things I do really frequently is um, I talk about how good I am. I talk about how smart I am. I talk about how right I am. And for anybody I think who listens to the show regularly, they get that that's a, that that's an act. It's an act in, 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 uh, in part. And in others, it's a way for me to signal to people that, dude, I'm, I'm worth listening to, uh, that I know what I'm talking about. And nobody wants to follow a lukewarm person who has no opinions mm-hmm. and, and who has, has no view of the world. That's just, that's uninteresting. If you're lukewarm, as the old, as the good book says, I'll spew you from my mouth. It's a very good marketing strategy to be, either be hot or cold, but nothing in the middle. Mm-hmm. Cool. So I took the 10 episode challenge back in the day and was hooked. I listened to you every single day. And then when you, when you changed brands, I, like I said, I stopped listening. And about a year ago, I converted from like LP libertarian type to agorism. Are you familiar with agorism? I am. Yeah. Very familiar. Okay. And like, I enjoyed the sort of entrepreneurial spirit of agorism, but I just couldn't get behind the ideology of it. The, uh, yeah, if we just do enough black market activity, we're going to take down the state, man. Like it just, it just seems silly. It seemed like LARPing. So I swung all the way back to the LP. I'm like a member of the board of the Libertarian Party of Minnesota. Like I, I just went all in feet first. And then LB Muniz, who is a, he's part of the Nomad Network. He's been on my show a bunch of times, mentioned that he had been listening to your show. And that's how I kind of rediscovered you. And I immediately joined the Nomad Network and had Matt on the show with LB and now to the point where I've, you know, dropped a couple thousand dollars to pick your brain once a month. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm totally sold on the product that you sell. And, you know, I, I appreciate the, the kind of abrasiveness that I mentioned. There are members of the Mises caucus who are like, man, if he wasn't such an asshole, then I probably would be, be willing to listen to him. And to me, that's like, if you're not willing to accept the tough love approach, then it's probably not a person you need to be listening to. I mean, there's plenty of people who, talk about how to be successful in life. And there's bound to be one that, that can tell that message to you without you needing to bite your, bite your tongue every time you listen to the person. So I guess the way I see it, that like, that's just your brand. Well, uh, here's, here's the thing. I, I'm intentionally brutal to the Mises caucus. I do it in, uh, on purpose. Sure. Yeah. You you're know? a performance it, it, artist in that. In yeah, that, that like I, I do that because I know it riles them up and, and I know that there's no one who will come out, no, no, uh, any, any objective libertarian who takes a hard look at their life will, will, it will come out and say that personal development and improvement and that increasing one's wealth and influence yeah. is an, it would negatively impact the liberty movement, right? That no one will say that, but they have a very hard time defending the notion that they're going to achieve any sort of change politically because mm-hmm. there's no track record suggesting that that's the case. And so people ask me, well, why can't we do both? I'm willing to accept yours. Why won't you accept mine? Well, number one, because I don't think yours works and you submit no evidence to me that it does. And secondly, I get way more traction out of saying there's a hard line here. What you're doing is ineffective and what I do is effective. Um, and I submit to you 10 years of 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 experience, you know, as, as a, as an example of that, but to your point about agorism, see, I think it's wrong to look, see that this is the problem with the way a lot of people think as they look at agorism, they think they, they try and rally people around this idea that says, we just get enough people who just operate outside the system yeah. that, you know, then the whole thing will collapse in on itself. That's the wrong way to think about agorism. The way you should think about agorism is, Hey, how do I succeed with or without the state? How do I do these things? If the, if the, if it's not allowed within the rules that I've been given, how do I operate outside of the rules? How do I think outside the box? What are some of the things that I can do to advance and create liberty and freedom for myself and wealth that don't require me to act within the confines of the system? You know, cryptocurrency is a great example of agorism. It's not technically, it's not illegal, but it certainly af- operates out in a gray 
area of yeah. the economic system, decentralized finance, smart contracts, all these things that we have coming around the corner, all of these things are a form of agorism, right? So there's too many people in 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 the movement, the liberty movement. I almost say your movement because I, I don't know that I consider myself <laughs> a big part of it, but there's too many people in the movement who think that their way will work. And the truth is, none of the ways will work the way they suggest they will. And trying to say that your way is better than this way and yada, yada, that's a, that is an intellectually impotent argument. And anytime mm-hmm. I hear people talk about that stuff, well, this is the way it'll work because I read a book on this and they, they said it would work in the book. And it was written by a good libertarian or a good anarcho-capitalist. I know that that's an intellectual midget. I know that that's somebody who hasn't done, who, who hasn't spent a lot of time in deep reflection on the way the world works and who doesn't understand human behavior. Because when you understand those things, you get that, hey, dude, nobody really knows what's going to create the best outcomes for people. We just happen to know that, hey, if you provide people more choice, you let them keep more of their money and 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 you focus on things that that set people free and provide them responsibility, that you tend to get better outcomes. Problem is most people don't want that. Most people don't want to be responsible for their own outcomes. They want to have somebody to blame which is why you have so many people focused on politics instead of their own individual liberty. Because it's way easier for people to join the Mises caucus and then in four years when they fail to produce to blame the leadership there or to blame their pick for president or to blame the Libertarian Party rather than to have to take ownership of it themselves. And so that's really hard for a lot of people to hear. But that's just the plain hard truth is that for me, I got nobody to blame but myself. If I fail If I don't produce, if my clients don't make money, if I don't increase my wealth and power, and there's nobody for me to blame. It's just me because it's all on me. And there are very few people in this world who are willing to take on that kind of responsibility for themselves. And I'm only looking for those people. And those people don't get offended when I bitch about the Mises caucus. Those people don't get offended when I complain about politics and the LP. Those people go, dude, I get what he's saying. That's the only people I want because they're the only people to me that matter because they're the only people I can help. Even if they're people like me whose best friends are Mises Caucus people. I mean, look, I, I'm really good friends with Dave Smith. That's what yeah, people don't totally. get. I'm great friends with these guys. Um, we're on great terms. I love him. I think he's misguided in his attempt to try and create a movement through political means. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean I disagree with his philosophy or, or, or who he is. I think he's a bad person. There's just very few people, libertarianism and specifically people who are engaged in the political process as libertarians, um, take it on almost like a religion. It's like if you challenge it, it's like you're, you're challenging part of who they are as a human being. And it's like, dude, it's just a, it's just a belief structure. Mm-hmm. Like as, you, as you've seen, yours has ebbed and flowed through time as you learn and you acquire more information, more life experience. It ebbs and flows. So why on earth would you get upset with somebody who disagrees with your perspective on one particular issue? Nobody's attacking you personally. They're not attacking your faith. They're just saying, dude, I don't think what you're doing is effective and I'm not going to be quiet about it. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of that does remind me of sort of the faith-based arguments that happen, especially like between Christian denominations, not even between like Christians and Muslims. It's like the Baptists and the Lutherans going at it. Yeah, or the Catholics and the Protestants. Yeah, yeah. How many yeah. how many people have died because of that conflict? I see the I same thing inside of libertarian politics. I want nothing to do with it. It's so counterproductive. All right, let's get into personal development. So, first of all, how do you cram personal development, acquisition of skills, maybe having a day job, having a side gig, having a personal life? How do you recommend to somebody balance all that stuff? Slowly and deliberately. Um, I think it is a misconception to think that you are going to have balance in your life. I've tried for many, many years, and I know a lot of very successful people, and I mean success in all areas, people who are successful in business, people who are successful in their relationships and their health. You know, success takes on a, a myriad of forms, right? I don't know a single one of them who has balance all the time. There are some times when we work really hard for long stretches of time and then we vacation. There are times when we are are heavily focused on the relationship and making sure that there's time for that. And then other times when that tends to get ignored. It's very, very difficult to have balance in one's life. 
What I try and do and what I, I try and help people with is to make sure that everything that is important to you, wherever you see a need for increase, that you're applying time, effort, and energy to that end. So for some people, money is the primary obstacle. They don't have enough to meet their obligations. They got more bill at the end of the month than they got money coming in in their paycheck. And, and they may have a great relationship with their spouse, and there needs to be a conversation there that says, hey, listen, we, we got to get a little increase out of this wealth, man. We get, we got, I, got, I need to work on this. And, and that means I'm going to have a little less time for you right now. Um, but understand this is for a purpose, and, and let's, get, let's get together on the same page with this. Same thing if you're overweight. Right. I remember when I built my first company, I went from 180 pounds ripped as a contractor to 220 pound blob of, of pudge. Yeah. Right. I started to have some health issues because of that. And I looked at my life and I said, yeah, I got millions of dollars a year coming in. I'm living fat. There's nothing that I can't buy if I want it, but I'm going to be dead or at least unable to enjoy this if I allow myself yeah. to continue to be unhealthy. So I had to I had to get away from the business for a while and start building a little bit on my own health. So uh, the important thing is for you to identify what's most important to you right now at this stage of your life and then to and then to make that the priority rather than trying to create some sort of mythical balance in your life where oh yeah, this is my family is getting attention and my business is getting attention <laughs> and my health is dude that's if you know somebody who does that, please let me know because I would love to have them on the show to explain it. I think they're probably liars. What are some like daily practices that can help someone focus focus their brains and become more productive than they already are? That's a good Whatever question. Whatever productivity I, looks like to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a good question. So the way I do it is I always start my day the same way. Um, I wake up, I have a notebook. It's not here in front of me. I have a different notebook, but I have a, a notebook that I use in the morning. And what I do, the very first thing is I write down what I, my goals are as though I've already achieved them. So, um, uh, you know, oh, whatever yeah. the goal is, say I want to own, I, 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 I want to own real estate in, in California and Chicago and, and in New York. Right. So, but when I write it down, I'll write it down as I own properties in Los Angeles, in Chicago and in New York. Right. Um, I have a vacation home in Vail. Right. I, whatever it is, whatever I want. Um, a lot of times I, when I was going through my divorce and things were very difficult for me, one of the things I wrote down every day is I have a great relationship with my kids. We talk frequently and, um, and, uh, and I'm, and, and I'm happy. Right. So these were, these were things I wanted, but that I was worried I wasn't going to have. Right. So Whatever that is, whatever I want my goals, it's like, it's very quick. It's 10 minutes. Maybe I write down that stuff. Then the next thing I do is write down some gratitude things. Um, I tend to do this when I wake up, uh, little things, the things that people don't think of. So if you live in the Northeast and it's wintertime and it's freezing outside and you get up, you put your feet on the ground, there's carpet there, man, just say, man, I'm so grateful there's carpet there. I'm so grateful I'm not putting my feet on a cold floor. And you go and you kick that shower on and that hot water comes through and you go, man, dude, you know how many people don't have hot water in the morning who don't even get the shower? And if they do, it's in an ice cold river. You know, I'm so glad I got hot water today. And I just, I write down a few of those things that I'm really grateful for, the little things about life. Because here's the thing, it's really easy when you have ambition to lose sight of all the gifts that you've been given and all the wonderful things that you have in your life. So I try and take a minute to do that. And then the last thing I do is I write down the three most important things that I need to get done that day. And I don't know what they are. I, I have goals that I set on a quarterly basis. So mm -hmm. whatever those goals are, I just say, okay, goals for the quarter. Okay, what's the three most important things to move me closer to those goals today? And that's what I work on that day. And by compartmentalizing that and getting a clear vision for the day on what I can accomplish, it helps me accomplish more than most people. Uh, I get a lot of compliments on, hey, how do you get all this stuff done that you do in a day? Yeah. And for the most part, it's just about planning. And it's not like I even spend that much time on it. You're talking about like 15 minutes in the morning while you drink a cup of coffee, just saying, dude, here's the three things I need to get done today. And then going and executing on that. Uh, that, that, is, that little 15 minute regimen in the morning has done more for my productivity and, and what I've been able to accomplish over the last 10 years than anything else I've done. I use two of those three tactics. I do the future casting, the the like long-term goals that you write like you're like you've already achieved them. And mm -hmm. then the gratitude. I phrase my gratitude as if it were prayer because I'm not a I'm not a praying person, but when I was, I remember getting a lot out of it. So I quickly 
moved from, you know, I'm grateful for this cup of coffee to like, thank you for this cup of coffee. Yeah, uh, and I've noticed, yeah, that, that, yeah. I've noticed that that helps too. Sometimes like putting it out into the universe, like, hey, thank you universe yeah. for providing this to me. Yeah, no, I get that. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I'll throw in a little, a little uh, aspirational. One thing that I write every single morning is thank you for wisdom and discernment. May they increase. Mm-hmm. And so that's my reminder to myself that, you know, I need to learn something new today and I need to learn something new about myself today and uh, maybe about the world, all of that stuff. How do you deal with discouraging friends? Do you have any? Oh, no. No. If I had a discouraging friend, they wouldn't be a friend anymore. They just stop that. The phone would stop ringing and it'd be me not calling Uh, that. I don't, I have no tolerance for that. There are some people in your life that you can't get rid of. You got relationships, you got family, you got a mom, you got a brother, Mm -hmm. somebody who's just nothing but negative all the time. Very difficult to get rid of those people, and I'm not suggesting that you should. Uh, what I what I try and do is in those situations is mitigate and limit the amount of time that I spend with them. But if I have a friend who's negative or who is unsupportive of me and what I'm trying to accomplish, they just they stop being friends, dude. I got there is there are an infinite number of people out there that you could surround yourself with. There is absolutely no reason that you should be giving time and attention to someone who who's whose ideas, whose passions, whose vision isn't aligned with yours. And, and you flow in and out of friendships throughout your life. The older mm-hmm. I get, the more I recognize this is people are friends for a period of time. And then you drift away and you become new friends. And as, as your wants and desires change, new people come into your life and, and that's okay. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be in bad things. And the fact that somebody else is, when you talk about a negative friend, it may not be that they're really negative. It could just be this person is not aligned with where I'm going right now. And they Mm. were before, but now they're not. And so that's okay too. We don't have to go on the same path all the time. We don't have to find a way to make it work. This is what I, I, what frustrates me is like, dude, you don't have to make a friendship work. You need to try and make a marriage work. (laughs) I've been unsuccessful once. I'm going to try again, but friendships are something completely different. Like I, you know, I just, I don't tolerate it. How do you make good friends? I would assume that you're not going to to like mixers and things like that at, at your level, but how how have you met some of the friends that you have? Oh, I meet uh, I meet friends. Well, we I meet friends the same way everybody does. I meet friends through friends. Uh, I meet friends through the work that I do and the conferences. I've I've been in business for long enough that uh, lots of times I'll. Um, I'll be looking for somebody who can partner with me on a project and we ended up developing a relationship that way. Um, I'm, a, I'm relatively introverted. So I'm, if I have to, I really do enjoy being alone. And so, um, Nancy, on the other hand, my fiance is a massive extrovert. And so I, I, in honesty, a lot of the friends that I develop are come through her. Uh, because she's very much out there and meeting people and is the, you know, is the, is yeah. kind of like the center of the universe when we go out. And that's the way I prefer it. Uh, but um, I, yeah, I, I think the way that you make friends is you've got to be willing to be vulnerable. So you have to be honest with people. You have to be open. You have to show that you want a friendship in, in order for that to ever become anything. You have to be willing to trust um, after my divorce, for example, I was very untrusting of anybody given everything that had happened online mm-hmm. and what people had been saying about me. And I remember when I moved to Los Angeles, um, Mark Clare and Brian McWilliams sent me a note and said, hey, we'd love to hang out and 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 meet you now that you're here in Los Angeles. And uh, and so we met at a at a at a bar at a pub close to my house. And I was so standoffish of both of those guys. I didn't want to give them an inch because I didn't know what they would say about me behind my back. I didn't, you know, you're going, all this stuff's going on in your head where you're like, what are these, what's this angle? Like, why are they just wanting to come and hang out with me? Um, I consider Brian a very dear friend now, like a very close friend to me. Uh, and, and Mark Claire too. Mark, not as much cause I haven't spent as much time with Mark, but I still consider Mark a very good friend, but Brian especially, uh, has been a really good friend to me over these years. And it took me being willing to, to be vulnerable to him and, and to be honest with him for that to ever become what it is. So I think that's really important with any relationship. Awesome. I heard you recently say something like the future of commerce is going to be about cooperation rather than competition. Is that about right? Yeah, I, I'm not entirely sure. Like what I see is, this is what I've always said. 
I said, I don't know if capitalism is the best system. Mm -hmm. It's just the best one we've ever come up with. And what I'm seeing now, and, and I've been, I've been really diligently studying this is with decentralized autonomous organizations and smart mm -hmm. contracts and, and all, uh, uh, all of these blockchain technologies that are happening now. I, I still think there's going to be competition. There's no doubt about that. But I think capitalism as we understand it today is going to morph into something different. Now I say that with a hint of, with a, a, a not even a hint, with a degree of caution, because there was a time when socialism was a new idea. And they thought, hey, this socialism thing is actually going to be superior to capitalism. And really, if we all just kind of work together and do our own thing, that, that people will make more money and be more successful than capitalism would be. That ended up being an abject failure. Mm -hmm. Now we have something similar in decentralized autonomous organizations where it says, hey, nobody's going to own the company. What's going to happen is we're going to set up the system to kind of operate on its own, and then people either by buying in or by uh, or, or by the work that they do will have some sort of voting rights inside. It's very Ayn Randian, and and you know what caused uh, what caused John Galt to leave the company, the factory he was at. Right? It's very in that sense, and so. I'm a little nervous in, in saying that that's the future of business and that's the future of economics, but I do think there are some fascinating new ideas that are being presented about the way that we interact, the way that we cooperate, and that the way our economy works that will eventually fundamentally change the way economics works in, in the world and, and specifically how we interact and cooperate with each other. Do you think that that reduces the influence of elites or are, will there always just be elites that are kind of running the show behind the scenes? No, oh, no. I think there will always be those people. I, I think there will always be people who seek to control others for their own gain. Mm -hmm. um, there will always be people who are more successful, who are more wealthy and powerful than others because there are a certain number of people who are smarter and willing to work harder. I mean, I don't, I don't, I, I don't think people realize just how lazy human beings are. <laughs> <laughs> and just how little work, little risk they're willing to take. You know, most, most of the people who have a moderate amount of intelligence and who are poor or ineffectual um, are that way by choice. Yeah. They're by choice because they just haven't decided to put in the effort or, or because they just choose, they, they, they've just given up and they, they don't care. Um, they'll blame it on other people, but the reality is if you have a modest amount of intelligence and, and you're broke and, and have no really, really no control over your own life, that's really your own fault mm -hmm. because it's easier today than it has ever been to create a, a, a nice living for yourself and, and to, and to provide for yourself and your family. And if you can't do that at this point with the internet and how cheap and easy it is, that's you. That's on you. That's not on anybody else. I wish I had uh, taken a little bit more action earlier in my life. I don't know. Me too. It's. <laughs> <laughs> I, I. I mean, we're going on a year almost of this podcast, and uh, this is like the first thing that I've ever started and like really stuck with it for a long time. It feels like a good accomplishment, and also, I mean, it feels like just like the first step of many in sort of building my own, my own career and my own brand and not having to work for somebody else's wealth, which, you know, not to say that there's anything inherently wrong with working for a salary. There's a whole lot of security in that, but, uh, it's just not where I want to be. And it's not where I've want wanted to be for a long, long time. So, well, this is, yeah. this is what I've always said about that. I, I don't, I don't begrudge somebody who says, listen, I just rather work for somebody else. I got a good job. I like my employer. I, I, I know the risks and I'm willing to accept them. I understand that, and I, I won't begrudge anybody that. But here's the thing about working for somebody else. Whether you work for yourself or you work for somebody else, the downside is the same. The downside is I lose everything. I live in my car or in a van down by the river, right? I lose my job, and I'm destitute. That's the same whether you're a, we work for somebody else or you work for yourself. The downside is the same. However, the upside working for somebody else is limited. There will always be a cap on what you can earn. Mm. You can maybe able to advance through the ranks, but eventually you hit a ceiling and there's, you won't be able to advance beyond that no matter how hard you work or how good you are. Yeah. The upside for being an entrepreneur is unlimited. It, you can go as far as your skill, as your desire, your ambition, your intelligence will take you.
So given those two options, being the downside is the same and the upside is limitless in one on one side and limited on the other, why not choose the limitless side? Now, to choose the limitless side comes with personal responsibility. It comes with a perceived added amount of risk. However, when I look at it, I don't see it that way. See, I don't think there's job security in a steady paycheck. I think mm-hmm. you're taking on an abject amount of risk that no one should take on. You don't control any part of how you get your money. Your money is controlled by somebody else. It requires somebody else to sell something to someone and that then you do your job to fulfill on some piece of that puzzle. You don't control anything, which means you are taking on a massive amount of risk for you and your family. You have one employer. It's like being an entrepreneur and only having one client. Like, think about that for a minute. Imagine if you were an entrepreneur and you're like, yeah, man, I'm making tons of money. I'm making like a million dollars a year and it's so amazing and I'm just flush with cash. <laughs> and, and, and then they're like, well, yeah, dude, but what happens if you like lose that one client? They're like, I don't want to think about that. Oh, yeah. that's not going to happen. They're never going to leave me. Like, dude, you'd be like, you're an idiot, right? Like if you weren't waking up in a cold sweat every night as an entrepreneur going, God, I hope they, I hope that client doesn't leave me. I hope I don't screw something up and they just let me go for reasons that I don't have any control over. Like that's the, what you would be thinking as an entrepreneur. Yet people who work for a company, they wake up every day. They're just like, nah, it's hunky dory. It's going to be fine. Oh no, they won't fire me. I'm really good at my job. Dude, if 2020 taught us anything is that you could be really great at your job. And if your employer sucks, at running a business, you're going to be out of work. There's nothing you can do about that. So don't take on that kind of risk. Don't assume that because you work for somebody else and they pay you every two weeks that you're somehow mitigating your risk because you're not. What's your definition of wealth? Being able to do what I want, when I want, with who I want, where I want, for as long as I want, without consideration for the cost. So how close are you to that ideal? I am not as close as I have ever been, but I'm not as far away either. I'm very close to that. Um, The biggest struggle for me now is I I have a lot of requirements on my time in building the business and the brand that I'm building that don't allow me to just leave for months on end. Like I would love to be able to take three months off every year and do nothing. Um, I don't, I don't yet have the financial resources or the, I haven't organized my business in a way to be able to do that, but we're working towards that. Yeah. And so, um, I don't, I'm more than 50% of the way there. Let's put it that way. Uh, and I, I don't think that freedom is a freedom or success isn't a point, right? It's, it's the advancement of a worthy ideal. That's kind of what success is. We're moving towards a goal. That's what mm-hmm. success is. It's the constant invest advancement of a worthy ideal. I, I think that freedom is the same way. I don't think you're either free or not free. I think that there are, a, there's degrees of it. My ultimate goal is total autonomy, which is what I said to you earlier. Uh, and, and everything that I do, every decision that I make is designed to move me closer towards that goal. Recently, or maybe not so recently, and if you don't remember it off the top of your head, I got, I got it right in front of me. So you put out an email for your alchemy series on the four types of wealth. Can you rattle those off and maybe kind of riff on them a little bit? If you can't, I, I've got them. Oh, man, you better hit me with them because I'm, right. I'm, I'm, I'm brain freezing now. Yeah, no, it's cool. It's financial, social, time, and physical. Oh, yeah. I think financial wealth, we know. I mean, it's having enough money to do all of those things that you just said. And that's subjective. It's not like, you know, at a million dollars, I'm wealthy, right? No, you're exactly right. And that's a really important caveat to make because I think when you talk about wealth, people think about you being filthy, disgustingly rich. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you might need that to be wealthy, but it depends entirely on your lifestyle. So if your goal is, hey, man, I just want to own I want to own 30 acres in the Adirondacks and that's where I want to live and I want to hunt and fish for my food and that's my idea of a perfect life. Dude, you don't need a lot of wealth. You don't need a lot of income in order to sustain that that life, right? If you're like me and you like flying first class and your ultimate goal is to is to fly private and have a Bentley pick you up at the airport, you like you got to go a little bit farther than that. But so Wealth, as I said before, when, as I define it, is just being able to do what you want, when you want, with who you want, where you want, for as long as you want, without having to worry about the money. Mm -hmm. So 
your wants and desires dictate how much wealth you need to have that. Uh, It's not a wealth is freedom, right? That's that they're, they're intertwined. And so from a wealth perspective, from a financial perspective, it is completely subjective and no one can tell you how much you need to be happy and to be able to do what you want. Speaking of finance, are you one of the people who believes that a person who has debt should get rid of all that debt before they start investing or building a business or whatever, or should they make like the minimum payments because the investments will pay off more in the long term? I don't have an opinion on that. And here's okay. why. I personally don't like debt at all. I don't I don't carry any debt. None. I don't carry mortgage debt. I don't carry uh, credit card debt. None. I don't like owing anybody. There's a, there's an old I'm not I'm not religious, but I grew up in the church and so I'm very familiar with the good book. And one of the things they said is the borrower is always slave to the lender. Okay. And I absolutely took that to heart. Now does that cost me in ways it does? I move slower. If I went and borrowed to the hilt and used that money to reinvest into my companies, uh, I could probably scale faster than I'm doing it. But I don't like to owe people. Uh, and, and so that's that's part of me. But if you're asking, you know, should you pay off all your credit card bills and pay your mortgage off before you ever start a business? I don't think that's right either. Mm-hmm. I think there are good debts and bad debts. There's ways that you can borrow money and what you're generating in revenue uh, overcomes the, 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 whatever the interest rate hurdle is. And it's one of those things where it's like, should I, should I pay off my mortgage at 3% or should I invest it in the stock market that's generating five to 8% a year? Well, that's a no brainer. You don't pay off a 3% mortgage when you can be yielding eight in the stock market. You take your extra capital, you put it in the stock market. I mean, there's a great Warren Buffett for a long time, just didn't pay his taxes. <laughs> Like he owe, he'd owe millions and millions of dollars at the end of the year in taxes. He just wouldn't pay it. What he'd do is he'd pay the 6% interest on the debt that he owed the federal government. And instead of paying the millions in taxes, he'd reinvest the millions in his own companies that would yield him 8, 10, 15% a year until the federal government finally came to him and was like, dude, you owe us too much money. You can't continue to finance your debt with us. You actually have to pay your debt. So there are times when it makes a lot of sense to borrow money and invest in yourself. Um, But keep in mind that you need to really understand money and you need to be really disciplined Mm -hmm. because if you're not, it's very easy to get overwhelmed and underwater. What about social wealth? I think social wealth is just the friendships that you create and the love and support that you have around you. Uh, As I said before, I'm very introverted, but even I need people who love and support me. Even I need friends who are, who are willing to, in my darkest hour, tell me everything's going to be okay and that I've suffered through worse and I'll, and I'll make it through this. And so social wealth is not so much, not so much the 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 brand that you create online or in person, but it really has to do with the friends and the relationships that you're the real ones, the real friendships, mm-hmm. the rider dies, the people who lay down in traffic for you. You know, the more of those people that you have and the more of that you are to others, I think is what what constitutes social wealth. You just recently moved from LA to was it Arizona? Yeah, Scottsdale. So have you had to deal with that socially? Like, I mean, has it, has it impacted your friendships with St. Brian or is it close enough to that, that you can make your way back up to LA from time to time? Oh, I don't think it's, it's too early to tell. Um, one of the, one of the, the cost savings of us moving here means that we could potentially live in on the coast for a few months out of the year if we wanted oh, to. Cool. And that's something we've talked about. Um, my move to Scottsdale is part of a larger plan to be able to fully go nomadic and be able to live, um, outside the United States for large periods of time. Uh, I, th- I think that I think that the best friends are the ones that you can't see, you don't see for a year. And when you see them, you pick up right where you left yeah. off. Um, I think those are the best friendships. Those are rare. Um, so it, I guess too early to tell whether it'll affect uh, the relationship long term, but I hope it doesn't. I hope it, does. it, it won't. For me, it won't change things. Uh, he's, he's, those, those men are still really good friends of mine and will remain that way as long as, as long as they want. I think I'm fortunate that I've had a bunch of those types of friendship in my life. Although I don't think I have any friends like that right now, which is interesting. I I don't have a lot of in-person friends right now anyway. Like I've got my partner and 
a lot of his friends have become my friends. Like you were saying with Nancy, my partner is super extroverted and like just kind of the the ham, the life of the party. So I've I've sort of leached on to a bunch of his friends as well. What about time no. wealth? Oh, go ahead. Oh, I, I was just going to say, I, I have a, I have a friend of mine in, in Los Angeles who he just met, um, who I think is going to be his life partner. And, um, it's so amazing to see them because they are, he's an Italian, he's a small Italian man. And, and my friend is, a uh, it, it works for, he, he works for a big company in Los Angeles and both of them are relatively extroverted, but just to see them together, I just feel like you, like they are they feed off each other and it's an amazing thing to see. Yeah. Well, actually one of, one of them is going to be marrying us and in, in, oh, uh, cool. in, yeah, it's, I, I'm, I'm, it's just, he's that kind of friend and has been since I moved to LA and or since I met Nancy and, uh, you know, it's just, it's so amazing to see cause they are very different people, but mm-hmm. they just, they, they kind of fit and it's amazing how that works. So anyway. Yeah. I, I aspire to be like my partner. I think he's a, He's kind of like Matt Erickson's ideal politically. Like he just doesn't care about politics at all. Mm-hmm. I guess that's kind of yours too, but uh, I've heard Matt yeah. talk more about it than you. Okay, we're going to yeah. run short on time. So uh, why don't we get to time wealth? Uh, time wealth is exactly what we're talking about. Just you you control your time. Yeah, You get to decide what you do with your day, how you spend your time. Time is the, is the only non-renewable, non-replenishable resource that you have. It is, in my, it is my opinion, the most valuable resource that any of us have. And it it shocks me how many people waste this very limited resource. They will stand in line for two hours to save 50 cents on a hamburger. It's like that this beyond me. They'll stand in line outside an Apple store to get the latest phone that two weeks later they can have shipped to their house. Like these kind of things are asinine to me. This is like people don't respect themselves enough uh, to value the most, the, the greatest resource they have. And so time freedom is all about being able to command your own time. Okay. And then there's physical wealth. Yeah. Physical wealth, I, I think is just, that's a matter of, of having your health. I don't think no amount of money is worth being crippled or bound to a wheelchair or bedridden or just to wake up every day and feel like shit. Um, like that, I, I don't know, man. I, I don't, I wouldn't trade health for anything because I can, if I have health, I can work hard. I can, I can, you know, I can build my time freedom. I can do the other things I need to do without my health. It all goes away. Mm-hmm. All right. To close out, uh, I want to know how the heck you got on the history channel as an investigative journalist, learning all there is to know about Nikola Tesla. I don't have any idea. <laughs> <laughs> I, here's what I think happened. I think that Ben Swan was originally asked to do the show. Oh, and Ben Swan turned it down and the, his media manager, uh, they asked for another name and Ben's media manager gave him, gave them my name because I got a, a weird, I, I had, I had been kind of in collaboration with Ben for a little bit, like just on and off. I'd, I'd been supporting what he was doing. I liked what he was doing. And all of a sudden I got a call from his, from his guy or a text message said, Hey, do you mind us like throwing your name out from time to time? If uh, you know, if the news strikes, I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't care. You can give whoever you want to. It doesn't matter. He's like, okay. And I didn't hear anything else. That was it. And it was like, I don't know if it was two weeks later or a month later, I get this random call from a Prometheus entertainment in Los Angeles. And they said, Hey man, do you know anything about Nikola Tesla? And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I know all about him while I'm Googling what new Nikola <laughs> Tesla is, right? I really didn't know much, but I knew this was an opportunity. And and they had me do a little um, virtual screencast, and they said, all right, you'll do. And they asked me to do this show with them, which was a lot of fun. And actually, you know, I didn't know much about him before. And, but I, I mean, the show's very real. If you watch the show, like when when Travis and I, there's a lot of stuff we do because it's a TV show and you're trying mm-hmm. to like, yuck it up. You're trying to make it a big deal. But the reality is like Travis Taylor and I talked a lot offline about what we had found and kind of the, the controversy surrounding Nicola. Oh, cool. And I gotta tell you, man, I like that part of it in the show is real. Like we really were amazed. We really, we really do think that there's some nefarious stuff that went on there, but we just, the show didn't get picked up for a second season. So we didn't get to continue to explore. 
I know. I got to the end of it and I was like, oh man, there's got to be a second season, right? Because, I mean, you don't find the extra trunk. Like, oh, I know. I know. No, trust and- me. Like, <laughs> originally, well, here's the thing History Channel came to Prometheus and they, they bought five episodes sight unseen. They just said, uh-huh. we want to do the show. We like the idea. We'll pay for five episodes. Um, and I was watching the numbers as they came in, uh, in terms of the ratings, and we were doing really well. Like other than college basketball, we were like right in the, the next number of highest viewed shows. So we were doing really good. I thought it was great. Mm-hmm. And then they didn't pick it up. And I said, well, what happened? They said, well, your demographic's too old. Like it oh, wasn't God. appealing to 20 somethings. It was appealing to like those, you know, Geritol, you know, Centrum Silver eating, you know, people like the oldies. And they said, we want a younger demographic, so we're not going to pick it up. And I thought, all right, well, okay. But that was by, that was some of the funnest stuff, some of the funnest work, just traveling around. And it was an amazing experience. I really enjoyed it. I feel like being on a History Channel documentary series, either as the voiceover guy, could it be that Nikola Tesla, you know, (laughs) like that guy, or maybe even one of the people on camera, that's probably one of my future casting goals. Mm -hmm. I just think it's so cool. All right, Jason. Well, um, let's be respectful of each other's time. Uh, Go ahead and drop whatever links you want. I've got a link, my my own personal link to the Nomad Network, which uh, you can sell that right now. That's all. That's all I want is I. I have built a. Commu- we are building a community. We just broke eight hundred members, and we're heading towards a thousand. Um, and it's basically a, a. A. It's an app. It's a community of people who believe in the principles of liberty and and self reliance. Um, but who are tired of politics and who are all working to build their own businesses and create freedom and and wealth for themselves and their families. And if that's something that interests you and that didn't turn you off all my all my talk tonight, then I would love to have you as a member of that. It's absolutely free to join. It costs you nothing. We do have a premium membership for people who want to go the extra mile. But my only goal is to find as many people uh, as possible who share the same values and the same goals that we do, uh, and who want help and want to build a network of people who are all doing the same thing. And so you have the link for that. That's where I would send people. And then of course my show wealth, power, and influence. If you, uh, if you found what I had to say tonight in appealing, go check out the show. We do a show every release show every Monday and, uh, and yeah, that's it. Thanks so much for having me a ton of the former guests of this show are in the Nomad Network. Every day, it seems like someone new is cropping up who's been on here. So it's almost becoming like the Blackbird podcast community as well. So that's great. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks so much, Jason. Yep. All right. Thanks again to Jason for joining me today. And thanks to you as always for tuning in. Remember, you can sign up for the Nomad Network at my.nomadnetwork.app or just use my sign up link so that I get a little bit of credit for it. I don't think I get any money, but uh, I know they're tallying up the the signups. So it would be just a bit of a feather in my cap if you would use my link, which is in the show notes. You can find the show notes for this and every episode at blackbirdpodcast.com. Don't forget to sign up for either the free feed with your email address or the premium subscription feed, which gets you pre-show content along with the interviews as soon as they're recorded. You don't have to wait the two or three weeks between interview and show release date. You get it all immediately, unedited. And with that, this is another episode of Blackbird in the can. I will see you on the next one. And until then, live free. Blackbird.